Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. So this graduate student said this. She said, um, studies show how social media triggers what psychologists call disassociation or a state of reduced self-reflection and narrowed attention. And you're like, yes, that's why I do it, right? You know, I want to escape, you know. And, and I think Ecclesiastes would say just the opposite. If you want to experience happiness, you need to look at life right in the eyes. It's kind of almost counterintuitive, because I think what he'd say is if you want to be the most happy Understand your end. Understand your death. This is a picture of the Pope. You know, the former Pope died. Uh, and if you want to be the most happy, live life backwards. Look at your death square in the face and make your choices based on where you're going to be. I know it sounds kind of uh, depressing, but look what the author of Living Life Backwards said. He said, I'm convinced that the only proper perspective on death, I'm sorry, I'm convinced that only a proper perspective on death provides the true perspective on life. Living in the light of your death will help you live wisely and freely and generously. It will give you a big heart and open hands and enable you to relish all the small things of life in a deeply profound way. Uh, death can teach you the meaning of mirth. Isn't that interesting? And if you've ever been struck with some kind of diagnosis where you're looking at your end, you see life differently, don't you? And we're, this isn't a new thing, right? I mean, country music singers have been singing about this for years. Not, they have songs with with wonderful choruses like chew tobacco, chew tobacco, chew tobacco spit, and... Songs like, I went skydiving, Rocky Mountain climbing, I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. How many have it? And I love deeper, and I spoke sweeter, and I gave forgiveness that I've been denying. And he said, someday I hope you get a chance to read Ecclesiastes, live like you're dying. Like, like Ecclesiastes, this guy's just tapping into to what Solomon is saying in Ecclesiastes also, that there's a perspective that comes from understanding where we're all going that can change how you live in the moment. Ecclesiastes makes a simple, a very simple point. Life is complex, messy, and sometimes brutally so, but... There's a straightforward way to look at the mess, and the end will put it all right. The end, when we stand before God as our creator and judge, will explain everything. And so he's saying, hey, live life backwards. And he begins Ecclesiastes like this. He says, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem, Vanity of vanities. This isn't the thing that holds your bathroom sink, by the way. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanity. All is vanity. Now, the NIV says meaningless. All is meaningless. But the word is habel. 
And it's mentioned 38 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. I'm not sure I'm satisfied with the translation vanity, because what's kind of interesting, I want to do like a little uh, biblical snooping with you and look at how it's been translated in other times in the Hebrew scriptures when it's been used. Notice how it's used in Psalm 39 and how it's used in Psalm 144. So the same Hebrew word, uh, habel, is used this way, uh, behold, you have made my days a handbreadth, and my lifetime as nothing in your sight. Surely every man at his best is a mere now that's the same word. A mere and they translate it breath. A mere vanity. No, I, I like breath. He, what is he trying to get across here? That life is short, right? When I read the word vanity, I think of like conceit, right? And and he's he's saying short. And surely every man walks about as a phantom. Surely they make an uproar for and the same word is translated nothing. It, 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 they make an uproar for vanity. They make an uproar for breath. He amasses his riches and does not know who will gather them. Or Psalm 144. Oh, Lord, what is man that you take knowledge of him? Or the son of man that you think of him? Man is a mere breath, right? Vanity, right? Man is a mere breath. His days are like a passing shadow. You know, you know what I think? I think what he's saying is the word habel is a lot like it's a, it's a breath or it's like, it's like smoke, right? It's like, it's like there's, you see it, but when you grab it, like it just, it just goes away. You know, it's, it's a mist. Who are we? And remember, always tip the unlit candle. And some of you with good eyes are like, Pastor, you just dumb wax all over the place up there. I did. Um, so, so when he says vanity, it's mist, it's short. It has to do with the time that we spend here on earth. You know, I posted something, maybe uh, 2019. And this is a picture of a camp where I was a counselor. And you could play Where's Waldo and try to find me in that picture. Um, and so, upper right corner. Uh, and and it, somebody uh, who was responding, it's like this picture I posted a long time ago, but then somebody rediscovered it, and then everybody starts commenting on it. And one of the person says, oh, yeah, and they said, we used to listen to Cat Stevens. You know, he changed his name now. Uh, back then, and we play him over the PA. And you remember this song? Oh, oh, very young, what will you leave us this time? We're only dancing on this earth for a short while. And though your dreams may toss and turn you now, they will vanish away like your daddy's best jeans. Denim blue faded up to the sky. Well, I mean, he's tapping into this vanity, isn't he? To the habel. He's, he's like, it's short, it's a mist. You're, you think life is long, but really, it's a mist. And then he goes on and he says, what advantage does man have in all his work, which he does under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. So he's making this point why all is missed, why all is short, why all doesn't last. And have you ever built sandcastles on the beach? They don't last long, do they? No, they don't. And our lives are like that. Sometimes... 
I look back at things and I'm like, yeah, the company I used to work for, they've been bought and sold and the name is not even used anymore, right? And then I'm like, oh, I met my wife at this camp and we used to take retreats there with the kids and that camp is now a park and it's not a camp anymore and it's gone. And even a church that I used to be a part of recently folded and got sold to another church. You ever look back at your life and go, things are changing, right? Things aren't the same. You long for permanence. You long for you know, consistency and... and um, and it, it doesn't give it to us, right? A generation comes and a generation goes. And, and he's saying this is how life is. A generation comes and a generation goes. And we so easily forget the past, don't we? I, I posted something that said that was from a guy, uh, Zinzendorf. He started the Moravian Church. He was a pietist. Enough of that. But he said this, and I think he must have been reading Ecclesiastes. Uh, Preach the gospel die and be forgotten. Now, frankly, he's not forgotten because he was, you know, uh, kind of famous. But most of us, we won't really be remembered, will we? So years ago, my daughter, when she was young, was into the, the Back to the Future movies. Remember that? I remember the last one, 1885, much better than the second one, maybe not as good as the first. And they go back to 1885. And I remember sitting around a dinner table having this conversation and my papa was there. My papa lived to be 101 and a half. And, and I'm thinking, I bet he knew somebody who was alive in 1885, right? You know, his, his wife was born at the turn of the century. So it was easy to remember her age. She was as old as the year, right? And, and so he was a little younger than my Nana. So I go, Papa, do you know anybody who was alive in 1885? He looks at me like I'm dumb as a stone. And he goes, my parents. <laughs> a generation comes and a generation goes. And you don't remember it, right? You know, I was dumb as a stone. right? And, and this is the way life is. What can you say about your great, great, great grandparents? Probably nothing, right? I mean, unless you're into genealogies and stuff. And then they use this phrase, under the sun. And can I say, I think I mistaught this in the past. Because I would say something like, well, we are under the sun here on this earth. And that's all, the Ecclesiastes is all about people who don't know the Lord, right? But we know that we are above the sun, that we will rise like our lives are. And so, you know, and I, I translated in my mind this under the sun passage spatially, Right? Jesus rose and went into heaven, and we, you know, we're seated at the right hand of the Father. So we, we kind of transcend. So all this stuff about Ecclesiastes isn't, doesn't have to be true about Christians. And although I believe that when Christ comes into your life, he's with you, there's comfort, there's change, it should be read chronologically, right? It, sh it should be read. And, and when, when you promise something like, hey, as you come to know Christ, things will get better, that's not always true, is it? I mean, why would Jesus say something like, if you want to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me? That's life under the sun. That's, that's life in time. It actually, you may become a follower of Christ, and things get harder, not easier. Remember, years ago, a friend of mine came to know Christ, and he said, oh, my goodness, I've always wanted to be in a band, and now I'm singing in this band. But you know how I've struggled with substance abuse? They're all abusing substance. And that's not good for me. 
And you know this gal at work that I've been pursuing for all the wrong reasons for all these years? Now she's pursuing me. And that's not good, right? Like he's like, things became much harder for me, not easier. And if we read this as somehow uh, spatially and not chronologically, we can somehow lose the cross in following Christ and Christianity. And I think Ecclesiastes has a lot to say to us who live here under the sun. And so he goes on and he says, also, the sun rises and the sun sets. It hastens to its place and rises again, blowing towards the south, then turning towards the north. And the wind continues to swirl around in its circular courses, and the wind returns. And all the rivers flow into the sea, and yet the sea is not full. To the place where the rivers flow, there flows again. So what is he talking about here? He's like, one day and another day and another day. It's windy today, it's windy tomorrow. Did you guys see that one social media post where um, somebody said, we had nice warm weather, didn't we? Wasn't it great being in the 60s, you know? And, and somebody posted, oh yes, oh yes, weather, you are so spring-like and beautiful, but we won't forget that last week you tried to kill us, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and so... Um, but he's, what he's trying to do when he says vanity and short-lived, he's talking about this rhythm of life that we all feel, right? Like things happen over and over and over again. I, I like this never-ending story as a kid. Remember that movie? Never-ending story as an adult, right? And anybody who's lived in any kind of life with responsibility, you know you're like, Dishes, diapers, right? Kid, families with like multiple kids. Sickness is just like the plague in the winter, right? It just passes around the family, right? And you're like, when will this be over? Right? Do you ever feel that? See, in a world uh, of permanent repetition, where we end up doing the same old thing seven days a week again and again, we long for something to interrupt it. Does that tell I mean, do you see this in you? Do you see this desire? You're like, is there anything new, right? And somehow, and sometimes what we do in light of kind of this repetitive, uh, circular life, how God set the world up to work, we start going, you know, I, I want change. I want new. And I know what I need. I need a new job. And a new job will fulfill me, Right? If I only get a new job, I'll be so happy, right? Now, sometimes you do have a bad job, and a new job will help, but you ever get the job you thought would make you happy? And then somewhere down the line, you're like, I wanted this, right? This is what I want. Or the new house, oh, I need a new house, and the house will make me happy. Or I need a new spouse, and this new spouse will make me happy, right? You know, trade in the old one, right? Or I just need a spouse in general. And any married person goes, that won't make you happy, right? You know, and then, I, you know, I need to win the lottery. If I only had more money or more savings, or right? Or maybe I need to take a pottery. Like, it doesn't matter what we do, right? I need to somehow uh, uh, fix what I see when I stand on the scale, right? You know, and my dad, I, I go to the doctor with him, and I take him to the doctor, and he gets on the scale, and I go, help, help. And the nurse kind of smiles. I love my dad. We have a good relationship. Okay, um, 
And, or maybe, oh, I need a child, you know, like, like we're always, because of this kind of repetitive thing in life, we can fall prey to, to putting our hope in circumstances and temporal situations and go, this is the thing that will make me fully satisfied. I'm not saying there isn't joy, but putting our trust in the gifts of God and not in the giver is a trap that we can fall to. He says, all things are wearisome. Man is not able to tell it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing. The ear is not filled with hearing. That which has been is what will be. And that which has been done is what will be done. So there's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything which one might say, see, this is new? And everybody in here is going, wait, they never flew to the moon, right? The iPhone whatever, right? You know what I mean? Like, they didn't have iPhones back then or technology. The internet, you know, they still got animals pulling their stuff. This isn't true. There's a lot of new stuff. Does it hit you that way at all? You know, he goes, "Uh, what has existed is already here. You know what he's talking about? He's saying the, the things that drive us will never be changed, right? Like... A baby's born. Yeah, it's a new baby, but there's a lot of babies in the world, right? You get a new building. Yeah, it's a new building, but there's a lot of buildings in the world, right? Technology of yesterday is there's still a drive for increasing technology, this desire to get off the wheel of things, and you're, that, that is not new. It's always been there. See, he doesn't mean that there's no new things or new things aren't invented in the world, for clearly it's not true. What he means is there's nothing new we can ever discover to break the cycle and so satisfy us. Yeah. We, when we conquer our solar system, humanity will then try to conquer the galaxy beyond it. We never have our fill God bless you, the basic human impulse that leads us into space in the first place. Do you see that? He's like, no, those things are there. You can have, like, inventions, but even it's the motivation for the new stuff that will never, ever be quenched or satisfied. Well, the guy goes on, and he says, I, the preacher, and I believe this is Solomon, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, I set my mind to seek and explore wisdom concerning all that has been done under the sun. So Solomon, God gave him the gift of wisdom, and then he decided, I am going to find out what life is all about. And so in wisdom, he said, I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolish. And what does pleasure accomplish? Isn't that interesting? He says, I I tried to cheer myself with wine and embrace folly, but my mind still guided me with wisdom. So even though he's drinking, he's like, now what's happening to my body as I'm drinking? Like Like his mind is still there. And even if you wake up from a stupor, what are you left with? Your Your mind. He's like, oh, it didn't, it didn't fix it. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under the heaven during the few days of their lives. So I enlarged my works. 
I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself. This guy had the money and the power and the manpower to do whatever he wanted to do. If he could dream it up, he could make it happen. He said, I planted vineyards and in them all kinds of tree, kinds of fruit trees. I made ponds of water for myself, which to irrigate a forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had homeborn slaves. Also, I possess flocks and herds larger than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. This is why I think it's Solomon, right? Because who else had stuff larger than anybody, right? Also, I collected for myself silver and gold and the treasures of kings and provinces. I provided for myself male and female singers and the pleasures of men and many concubines. So he, they didn't have Spotify back in the day, right? He had, well, bring out the country band, right? right? Bring, bring out the rap, right? Bring out, like, like he could just, he, he had the ability just to have any kind of singers and musicians that he wanted, and he did. Anything that you've ever thought, I'd be happy if he had. It, then... I became great and increased more than all who had preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood by me. All my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. My heart was pleased because of all my labor, and this was a reward for my labor. And I believe he did this stuff, and he looked down, and he thought, yes, it's good. But what happens when you get everything you want? Do you ever notice what happens when you get everything you want? Why some people get everything they want, Inc. Magazine, in life and are still unhappy. So one guy says, let me tell you my story. This is that article. He goes, when I was 17, I thought that at that moment, I became one of the highest ranked in World of Warcraft players in the United States. Some of you don't get this, but others of you are like, yeah, yeah. Okay, I have a buddy I went to high school with. He goes, I tried to get my son to go out and play, but all he wanted to do was video games. Now he's making $50,000 a year playing video games as a professional. He's like, I guess he was right. I was wrong. Right? Yeah. Okay, so he said, I reached the goal. I, I, you know, he was top in America on World of Warcraft. Uh, he also had acne, a big beard. Okay, um, and he goes, I was happy for two days. He goes, when I got into bodybuilding a few years later, I thought as soon as I wasn't the skinny kid and made fun of anymore, I'd be happy. So I started to put on some muscle, but I wasn't happy yet. I wanted to hit 165 pounds, 7% body fat, but I wasn't happy. I thought I needed more. I hit 170 pounds. I was shredded, but I still wasn't happy. I wanted more. I hit 175 pounds. I became a fitness model. I looked around, but I still wasn't happy. And he goes, I graduated from college, and I thought if only I could make $100 more a month, this would be great. And when I did, I thought if only I could make $200 more a month, so I got a second job, and this would be great. And I started making more, if only, and, and he just goes on and talks about it. What happens when you get everything that you think will make you happy? What happens inside of you? You're happy for a little bit. Many times you get disillusioned because life overpromises and underdelivers, doesn't it? 
I'll never forget, I, I think it was uh, Tim Keller quoting somebody else when uh, he compared this experience of disillusionment to what Jacob experienced after uh, he married Leah. You guys know the story, very famous story. You have Jacob, and he's a swindler. He's a, a liar, deceiver, cheater. And he uh, runs because he had deceived his brother and was afraid of him, so he flees to his, his mom's brother. And he's living with him, and he falls in love with his cousin, Rachel. And he says to the, her dad, hey, I'd like to marry her. And he's like, okay, work for me for seven years. And then you can get married. They had to buy their women back in the day. And so he works for him for seven years. And the Bible says, you know, it was like a, it was like a moment, right? And so the wedding has come. The, the time has come. He goes to his, fa- his soon-to-be father-in-law and says, seven years are up. Give me Rachel. His dad's like, okay. But his dad was sneaky. And he's like, how am I going to get the ugly daughter married, right? How am I going to get the older one? I know what I'll do. Yes, I will give Rachel, but first, I'm going to sneak Leah in. Now, we don't get this. Our weddings had to be a lot different back in the day, right? So somehow, lots of veils, right? Lots of wine, darkness, snuck her in there somehow. And marriage was consummating. That was marriage back in the day. And so they wake up in the morning, and he expects to have in his bed Rachel, his wife, And what does he find? Leah. You know, ah! And it it says in the Bible, in the morning it was Leah. And you know, one author said, all of life is in the morning it was Leah, right? You think you go to bed with Rachel, but you wake up with Leah. You get a new job and you go, this will really satisfy me. But somewhere down the line, you're like, Leah, right? I see it happen in marriage many times. You're like, oh, if I get married, it's going to be this panacea, you know, but somewhere down the line, you're like, Leah, right? (laughs) Sorry. Ladies, Leah, right? It's the guy. Yeah, okay. You know, and and everything, right? You take up a new hobby, and you think, oh, this is great, but somewhere down the line, Leah, right? It's the way of the world. All of life is disillusionment. What do you do when you get disillusioned? Because can I say that this really helped me? It it helped me in my thinking. Because I think what happens sometimes when we we go to bed with Rachel and we wake up with Leah, when we we hope in something to bring happiness, our efforts, our work, our success, and it doesn't bring happiness, and we're in the, the pit of disillusion, you know what we do many times? We blame. If only I had married somebody different right? Or sometimes we blame ourselves. If only I was somebody different, they'd be happy, right? We, we blame. If only I had a different job. It's really the language of an addict. You know, cocaine didn't work. Let's try meth, right? You know what, I mean? you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it, like, like I, I need something stronger, something different, something, and they keep moving along. Life, and some people live their lives, disillusionment, trying something new, Disillusionment, trying something new. You keep blaming the person, blaming the thing, blaming yourself. The other place I think people go is they go, look at this, life sucks, then you die, really. If you notice the small print, this is an advertisement for a studies in Ecclesiastes. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's a good one. I should have named it that. Um, 
life sucks, then you die. You, what does a cynic, what does cynicism do? If I have no expectations of you or negative expectations of you, you can't hurt me, right? I, I don't expect anything from you. I don't, like, you can't hurt me because I expect to be hurt by you. The world will only hurt me. You, like, wall off your heart. You make it a coffin. You don't, you don't really live life because, you, you, because you've been hurt before. You've been disillusioned before. And if you can just put your dreams in a box and don't let any of them out, then you're going to be happy and satisfied and you're controlling everything. And I don't think that's the answer either. But I think it's where Solomon did end up going. Look what he says. So I hated life. <laughs> it's like I accomplished greater things than anybody else, and I hated life. Because what was done under the sun was grievous to me. For all is a breath, a vapor, smoke, vanity, striving after the wind. I hated all my toil, which I had toiled under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he'll be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I have toiled and use my wisdom and under the sun. He's like, yeah, and even though I've got this stuff, death brings it into perspective, right? You know, I never meet people who go, I just wish I had spent more time at the office, right? When they're sick, when they're dying, you know, I wish I had. No, they're like, oh. Why did I give so much of my efforts into that and not the stuff that will really matter, right? I mean, think about this, houses and jobs and everything. I mean, they're good, but you don't bring them with you. You know what lasts? Relationships, right? I mean, people are either going to live forever with you in eternity or be someplace else for eternity. It's the relationships that matter. He goes, this also is vanity, so I turned about and gave my heart up to despair, disillusionment, over all the toils of my labor under the sun, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave it to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great, he's like, why do I give all this effort? I'm going to die and it won't even matter. I'll go to some idiot, right? And he's struggling. What do you do, right? Where do you go when you are feeling the disillusionments of life, right? I, I want to talk about where C.S. Lewis went with this, and I also want to share where King Solomon went with this because it's kind of fascinating. So if we're not to be people who blame others when we're disillusioned or blame ourselves, if I was only a better person, we wouldn't end up here, right? And if we're not going to be somebody who's going to just live in, I'm never going to love again, never going to trust again, I've been hurt before, and I just this walled off box, you know, box up our heart, box up our lives, I'll live my life, but I'm not going to give my heart to anything or anyone. If those aren't the places to go, where do we go? Well, Lewis says this, he goes, if I find desires in myself, uh, which will never be satisfied on this earth, he, he, he says the most probable explanation is I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, then it doesn't prove that this universe is a fraud. Probably earthly ple pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. Lewis is saying, you know, 
When I first um, start a job and it's so exciting, but it doesn't deliver what it promised, maybe it was never supposed to deliver what it promised. Maybe the first step into heaven, I'm going to breathe the air of heaven and I'm going to say, this is the job I hope for my whole life, right? And even the best of marriages, right? The best of marriages over promises and under delivers. And in heaven, with the first embrace from Jesus, you'll say, my marriage pointed to this kind of love that I am experiencing right now. Right? I mean, and, and so Lewis is saying that our desires that never fully satisfy us here point that we were made for something even greater. And Ecclesiastes goes into this. He says, there's nothing better for a person than to eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. Isn't that interesting? I saw, this also I saw is from the hand of God. By the way, first time, two chapters, he mentions God. You got a lot of vanity, but here's God mentioned for the first time. And what is he saying comes from God? The ability to be in the moment and find pleasure in the small things, right? Billy's doing a drum solo on stage, Blossom Music Center, and if he is tasting the joy of the Lord in that moment, great. Billy's in his garage practicing his heart out for some show he's going to do, and if he's tasting in that moment, not the past, not the future, right, the joy, that's what it's saying. In life, we can taste of the joy of the Lord, and if you can do it, it's a gift. If you could sit around a dinner table with your family, kids throwing food at each other, right? You know what I mean? It's a gift. Recently, I was called by a family member. I won't mention a name because I might have to give them $5 for using them as an illustration. And um, they reminded me of a time when I was driving in the car. If you have uh, upset stomachs or anything, this might be a trigger. So I'm driving in the car. I just got a car that was new to me, and we had picked up our son from um, basketball. He was young, and he's like, oh, my stomach is really bad. And my wife reaches back with like a bag, like, do it in here. Because my new-to-me car, the window didn't roll down, you know? It was one of those new-to-me. And before he could grab it, something might have come up out of his mouth, into the bag, into my wife's glove, and all over her arm. So when, oh, it's this way. So when she pulls her arm back, it triggers her. <laughs> yes. And so I pull over, and I am laughing because laugh or cry, pick one, right? So I get a call. Hey, remember that time? Well, I'm driving home from uh, picking up my child from school, and guess what happens? And you know that I am pregnant, and I'm more easily dispelling things at this moment. And she goes, yep, he throws up, and I throw up too. And I'm like, did you laugh or cry? She said, I found it hilarious, right? It, I think it's a gift from God to find joy in the barfing moments, right? <laughs> I, I, it is. If you, I mean, I, I do believe that. 
There's nothing better for a person that he should eat, drink, and maybe expel and find enjoyment in his toil. This is from the hand of God. If you wake up in the morning and you can go, not good God, it's morning, but thank you, God, it's morning. Like, I think that's a gift. Even if you have to learn to train your heart to do it, right? Um, for apart from God, who can eat and drink and have enjoyment? I like what Henry Nouwen says. He goes, the real enemy of our lives are the oughts and ifs. You know, I ought to have done that. I ought to have said I ought not have done that. You know, I mean, we, do you know what I'm talking about? You live in the past and you look and you, you're, you don't have a righteousness of your own and you wish you did and there's so many things that... And you, and, and you live back there. Or the, oh, if this happens, what if this happens... I'm afraid of this happening, you know, and, and here we are in the moment, and we're not in the moment, right? We're, we're, we're feeling bad about the past, or we're anxious about the future. He, he says the real enemy is the ought and ifs. They pull us backwards in the unalterable past or forwards in the unpredictable future, but real life takes place in the here and now. To do that is a gift. To be in the now is a gift. God is the God of the present. God is always in the moment. Be that moment hard, easy, joyful, or painful. Um, oh, wait, let me get this. And he goes on and says, For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he's given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. This is also vanity, a vapor striving after the wind. And he's saying, it, it, God helps you um, have enough, serve. There's nothing wrong with goals and stuff, but to do it with his joy, to do it in the moment is truly a gift from God. And I couldn't help but think that because of what Jesus did on the cross, God is not angry at you. We have reconciliation with God. And because of that, in this moment, we can say, Lord, I'm justified by grace through faith. We now have access to this beautiful grace that we stand in because of his death on the cross. And does it get any better than that? The problem is we are too easily satisfied Look what C.S. Lewis said. He goes, if, you, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the gospel, like if we could consider the stuff that we're going to get, he, he said it would seem that our Lord would find our desires, our passions, our, our seeking after things we say will make us happy, not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a vacation at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Isn't that interesting? We pray with me? Lord, I just want to be reminded now that you're with us that you have dealt with our past, washed, forgiven, free, and we can trust you with the ifs of the future. It's in your hands and that we can be in this moment now with a God who is infinitely in love with us, that your passion is for us and may 
we respond with a passion for you. And a big thank you, Jesus, for the moments, for the dirty diapers and the dishes and in all the ways that you are with us in the moment. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.